You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into the episode today. Today my guests are Kristen Welch and Maureen Kaderi. Kristen is an author, she's a blogger at We Are That Family, and she's also the founder of Mercy House Kenya. Maureen is from Kenya and she is sort of the Kenyan director of Mercy House, and today's show is really going to inspire you, it's going to move you, it's going to at times bring you to tears. Um, We actually have so much information and just it's so much goodness. We decided to break the show up into two parts. So today is part one that's just sort of the history and the background and the starting of Mercy House. And so I can't wait for you to listen. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. Enjoy the show. I am so Thankful, honored, all the things. I'm feeling like lots of emotions right now to welcome my guests live in the studio, which is even even more special occasion. So I have the inimitable <laughs> Kristen Welch and Maureen Kaderi from Mercy House. And uh, first, welcome to the show, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. We're happy to be here. Yeah. So um, first, I'm, I'm going to introduce Kristen, although first, a lot of you, you know, she probably needs no introduction. But Kristen is a blogger over at We Are That Family and also an author of uh, Rhinestone Jesus, Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World and the fo- founder of Mercy House Kenya. And Maureen is sort of the Kenyan side of Mercy House, and we're going to get to their story and how Kristen and Maureen got together. And actually, in Kenya, it's called Rehema House, right? Because Rehema is, is it Swahili? For Mercy. For Mercy. So um, we're going to get right into this. And uh, for those of you who are just tuning in to the Business with Purpose podcast, um, this is a show where I sit down with CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, nonprofit directors, but just people who are trying to make a difference in the world with not only their personal lives, but their professional careers as well. And Kristen and Maureen, um, their story is going to inspire you. It's going to move you. It's going to make you want to like run out of your house and be like, I'm going to change the world. <laughs> it's just, it makes you, it just, it gives you lots of, lots of emotions and, um, but also motivates you to want to do better. So, um, we're just going to start right off. So Kristen, um, I want you to kind of share a little bit of your story um, and kind of what, you know, what I say all my guests do is they give me the the 101. So I want you to give me the Kristen 101 um, and kind of, you know, what steps sort of led you to where you are today. Sure. I'd love to tell that story. I've been a writer most of my life. I just no one really read it, <laughs> read what I wrote for a very long time. I've been writing stories since the eighth grade. And um, in about 2007, I decided to start a blog. Um, My husband had encouraged me just to uh, put my story out there. And back then, blogging was still sort of a new phenomenon, and there there weren't as many. And so um, after hitting publish on that first blog post, it was, I think, a story about the tooth fairy. I was hooked, (laughs) and I knew that I had found a place for my words and a place for my heart. Um, yeah. At the time, I was a stay-at-home mom and just feeling like 
instead of changing the world, I was sort of being run over by it and yeah. um, trying to figure out what my purpose was. And mm-hmm. um, I love being a mom. I love mothers. And so blogging really connected me with women all over who were sort of in the same place in life. And we were able to, I guess, sort of join hands across the internet and I found a community there. Yeah, and a funny funny quick side note. I also started my blog in 2007, okay. but I was not a mom yet. I was fresh out of college and my first post was about bubble wrap. So okay. I don't, you know, <laughs> we've all come a long way. Yes, yes, since the tooth fairy and bubble since wrap. Since the tooth fairy and bubble wrap, so. <laughs> so in uh, 2010, I had been blogging for a couple of years and uh, really, worked my blog like a job, you know, I I knew that this was what I was supposed to do. But at the time, it was still very, um, really selfish writing, I was writing about me, and I wasn't using it for any other purpose. And I found instead of finding the fulfillment that I knew was there, it really left me feeling empty. I had um, sort of bought into the American dream with my family, and we were trying to figure out how to move out of our starter home. And how I was trying to figure out how I can make money blogging and and uh, it really just became something that instead of filling me it was something that was draining me and I knew that and I but I didn't know what to do about it and so um, in 2010 uh, my blog was being read more and more by moms all over the U.S. and I got a call from Compassion International and they asked me if I would consider taking my blog to Nairobi, Kenya to uh, write about poverty in the slum in an effort to get children sponsored. And it was a really special invitation. I remember feeling so honored. And I told my husband that night, and he was like, well, what'd you say? And I said, well, I told him no. (laughs) And he was like, what? You know, why would you tell him no? This is a free trip to Africa. Yeah. And... I had a lot of excuses. My youngest was only two at the time and, you know, who's going to do car line and all of that. And he said, Kristen, why are you really saying no to this? And it was just one of those moments where he was calling me out. And I said, I'm afraid it's going to change me. And he, you know, was very tender. And he just said, honey, maybe it should change you. Maybe you should go so that it will change you. And he had seen some of the emptiness in my life. And I was trying to fill it with shopping and things and stuff with our American culture is so good at that and the more I got the emptier I felt and so I uh, I ended up saying yes to that trip and just a few hours later or 24 hours later I found myself in a slum in Kenya and it completely turned my life upside down I had been in church my whole life and um, was a believer but I really just met God in in the slum that day and he showed me my own spiritual poverty and I was standing in now it's the world's largest slum and a young girl from compassion had met us there to give us a tour in to the heart of the slum and show us the work of compassion yeah and I stopped on the path and I was just so broken by what I was seeing every sense was overwhelmed it was just um, it felt like I was in hell, just oppressive and dark and dirty and uh, scary. And I was like, I'm just this little Texas mom. What am I doing here? And uh, I was overcome with one emotion that really surprised me that day, and that was just anger. 
I was really mad at God because as I looked out and saw these beautiful people who were suffering, I really was trying to reconcile who I knew God to be and what I'd believed my whole life and what I was seeing in front of me. And I said these words to God that day, how can you allow so much human suffering? And the minute I said the words, God spoke them back to me. Kristen, now that you've seen this, how can you allow it? What are you going to do? What is your response going to be? And that day just flipped my life upside down. And um, I actually continued down that path with this young girl leading us to the home of an orphaned boy. And uh, his name is Vincent. He was 14 years old at the time. And his home was unusual because he was the orphan who was leading his home. There weren't parents. And um, when I looked at his home, and I remember thinking, how am I going to write about this today? I just saw that he had nothing. Not He didn't have a bed. He didn't have food. He didn't have anything for tomorrow. Everything was just survival for today. He showed us his one candle, how he would light it to do his homework. And he asked us if we had any questions. And I said, I have a question. How can you be so happy? You have nothing. And he looked at me and he said, ma'am, I have Jesus and he's enough. Mm. And everything came down to that moment for me because I wanted to respond, well, I have Jesus too, Yeah. but he isn't enough for me. And there's so many layers between me and God and it, my happiness and satisfaction in life and fulfillment is really only complete by what I have. Um, and I realized that day that Vincent and and the young girl leading us and, and all of these people that I was meeting in poverty, really, they had more than I had. And I was the one that was spiritually poor. And so I set out to write these stories and then they end up rewriting me. Wow. That just, I think, is a lot of our spiritual journeys in America is when we kind of come to terms with the moment when we say, like, is is Jesus enough for yeah. us? Um, yeah, I mean, I the first time I went to Kenya was in 2011, and I wasn't a mom yet. I was actually newly engaged, and that was a turning point for me. It was a similar thing where I came home, and I was just like, I've been living for myself for all this time, and I'm unhappy. So (laughs) at what point is, am I going to make a change Mm -hmm. and start living for others um, and living for the Lord? Like that was, that was, I completely um, relate to that in so many ways. Um, So you alluded to it, but your tour guide in the slum was actually Maureen. Yes. So Maureen, that's kind of how you and Kristen got connected. And so what happened after that trip that kept you guys in contact? And um, and Maureen, I'd love for you to kind of share your story as well and kind of what led you to be leading that trip. My name is Maureen and uh, I have a son and I'm a proud mother of that beautiful son. And, and he uh, is amazing. What's uh, his name? Amazia Fadili. Amazia means the Lord is our strength uh-huh. and Fadili means compassion. And um, also a mother to 32 beautiful daughters and a grandma to 30 uh, grandbabies. And yeah. I'm married to Mr. Oliver Kaderi, uh, who we grew up in the same uh, slum. And uh, my life actually is a testimony. And I thank God uh, for my uh, 
what I've gone through because indeed he's been uh, you know the father that has brought me he is being Ebenezer in my life he's so great uh, I grew up in one of the largest slums <coughs> in Kenya uh, it's called Karobangi and uh, life in the slum is not that easy it's yeah. actually very very hard uh, there's no running water if you have to get clean running water you would walk miles and pay for it and that is something that we could not afford there's a lot of sewerage uh, passing right outside uh, the house and a lot of trash everywhere yeah. in the slum. Uh, there's a lot of survival prostitution, young girls and even women prostitute for food and just for them to be able to provide uh, for their families. There's a lot of rape. I saw my own friends being raped to their own you know, fathers, uncles or even brothers or people, you know, just neighbors and that is was uh normal thing yeah, that will common. happen yeah common every single day uh, there's a lot of uh, harmful liquor being brewed there and drug abuse which people would use because they lived a lifeless yeah. life um, my family and I are family of six we stayed in a we lived in a 10 by 10 cubicle probably the size of your bathroom or mm -hmm. closet and the walls were made of mud the floor was not cemented and the room was made of iron sheets that had holes and um, most of the time when it rained it was really bad for us because we could not sleep we never had a bed everything happened in the same house that small tiny house that is where there was a kitchen a bedroom we never had a bed so we'll take our our clothes put them down, lay them down at night, and then uh, sleep, and then in the morning wake up and put them on. And so if it rained, we will look for a corner in the house where it was not raining and stand the whole night. Mm. And then when it stops raining, we could not still go back to sleep because the floor was wet, and we could not uh, go sleep in the wet floor. So we'll stay awake the whole night, and the next morning all of us were sleepy. And for us who are going to, uh, to school, most of the time we went to school crying because our uniforms were wet, our books were wet, we were so sleepy, and our teachers would not uh, understand. Um, my dad earned uh, $10. He was a casual laborer. He earned $10. And uh, our house rent was $6. And, and this is a month. Th that's a month, and only if he gets work. Yeah. If he doesn't get work, it means that that ten dollars is not there. So if you go, so there, a laborer is kind of like he just kind of did odds and ends jobs. Yes, yeah, like we'll go to a construction place yeah. and just carry bricks and all that. And so uh, we, we we moved because we were chased from one house to another because our father could not afford to pay the rent. So we were from one house to another. We could not afford the basic needs. No school face so we were on and off from school no clothes we used to put on torn clothes no food my family that was a huge struggle for us uh, we went for days four or five days i've gone four or five days without eating anything on my stomach and if we had to eat like every day that was like a luxury on yeah. christmas for us and uh, if we had to eat food it was rotten food that we picked from the trash uh, cans or uh, market those rotten things that people have thrown away and that is what will come home and thank god uh for uh when i started having my periods uh we could not afford i could not afford sanitary towels mm -hmm. i used my own clothes that i would cut into pieces and use come back home in the evening and wash my own blood and then hang it out to to dry to use it the next day and it, you know, I kept praying that there was going to be sun for them to dry because if they never dried, I'll use 
wet clothes, yeah. you know. And so I was smelly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was so skinny and so uh, malnourished. Uh, I grew up as a very bitter child because I wondered, is God real? Does God exist? And if he exists, why do we go through all this suffering? Mm. And at some point, I felt like killing everybody in my family. You know, we'd rather die than go through the kind of life that uh, we were living in. It was a really bad uh, life. But I thank God when um, I was seven years old, um, Compassion International came into my life and the life of my family, and I was recruited by Compassion, and I joined the project that was nearby. And it took years for me to know the real meaning of compassion, you know, in my life, because at first I thought it was all about food, because yeah. every Saturday they used to give us food. And uh, because we had not eaten, I was always looking forward to on Saturdays where I'll go and eat food and I'll carry a plastic bag with me and go for a second share and a third, I'll pretend that I'm not full. So go for the second share and then I'm not full again, go for the third share and put this food in a plastic bag to take home and share with my family because yes, I've eaten, not about my family that yeah. we've been going without food with. And so I'll take it home and you know, that was the first place that I learned about balanced diet. That Saturday we'll eat breakfast and then eat lunch and then eat fruits, something that we could not afford. So that's why I always looked forward to on Saturdays going to the Compassion Project. And they paid my school fees so I was able to to concentrate in class and started performing well and uh, they bought for me a new school uniform and you know started celebrating birthday because my sponsors will send me birthday gift and a Christmas gift and uh, you know that was the first place that I received the Bible yeah. and I accepted Christ when I was um, in one of the compassion camps and my life changed when I received Christ because I received hope people in the slum live a very hopeless life and they live on today they don't know about the next minute. They don't know about tomorrow. If ask them what they want to be in future, they don't know. Yeah. They live and survive on one time and one day. And so when I received Christ, I started feeling I'd rather, you know, I was spiritually rich. So I'd rather die physically poor because I knew that we will never be rich. So I'd rather die physically poor. But I knew that spiritually I was very, very rich. And so I also thank God and Compassion for giving my, my precious sponsors, people that I've never met them. They just picked a packet and sponsored me. Yeah. And uh, I remember them writing me a letter and saying, Maureen, we love you so much. We're praying for you. And uh, we have a picture of you on our refrigerator. I never knew what a refrigerator was. <laughs> so I had to go and ask what a refrigerator was. And I remember our social worker really explaining to me. And I was still not understanding. Yeah, you're like, uh, wait, what? it's a thing that like people have like lots of food in. And like yes. peep their peep, the mm -hmm. food goes bad and they throw yeah. it out. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so um, and they continued and say that Maureen was so beautiful. I was so skinny. And I never believed that I was beautiful. And nobody had ever told me that I was beautiful, including my late parents. And uh, uh it was huge, a white person telling me, somebody that I've never met, who just saw a malnourished picture, seeing and saying that I was beautiful. And from that time when they said I was beautiful, it never mattered who else would tell me that I was beautiful. Because somebody else had told me, and you know, in Kenya, people, are, we, we love, uh, especially people from the slum love white people, we call them Mzungo. Mzungos, and yeah. so, you know, Mzungo had told me that I'm beautiful, and so I kept that with me, and, you know, they had seen me beautiful inside and, and out, and I want to thank God for poverty. I thank God for poverty, because if I was not poor, 
I will not be sharing his story because my story of poverty is God's story. And he took me, you know, I got the sponsorship up to the university level and I graduated uh, from the one of the universities in Kenya wow. called Kenyatta University uh, with a degree in education, English and literature. Wow. And I'm the first person in my family actually to get the university education and even to come to America. That's huge. Wow. And uh, I was able to take my family out of the slum. And, you know, we're no longer physically or spiritually poor. We're no, we have what we, we get food. And I was able to take my siblings back to school and pay their school and take my parents from the slum. And uh, I'm just grateful uh, to God for, for that because he was preparing me for what, you know, for my destiny and what he had for me in future. And so that is why I'm so passionate. And, you know, I want to give back. Because uh, if somebody who never knew me, somebody who maybe he never, they never came to Africa and they never saw poverty as I did, did what they did, you know, they gave me an opportunity. They transformed and empowered me and they believed in me. What about me who sees poverty and smells poverty every day? I believe there's so much that I can do. And so that's why I'm just honored to be a vessel in Rayama House and give back that way. And I just love the girls. And... I tell them every day that I love them and they are so beautiful. Girls and women in the slums, um, they don't believe they're beautiful. And that's why they end up with the wrong people because it's the wrong people who tell them that they're beautiful. Yeah. Nobody, you know, encourages them and motivates them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you were seven when you became um, a compassion child. Yes. And yeah, so, and you were able to be, continue to be a compassion child through university, correct? Yes. And so, and how old are you now? Oh, now I'm 31. So I was sponsored for 18 years wow. from when I was seven up to 25. Well, we're the, we're the same age. So. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. And so, um, so when did you then, so then did you start to work for Compassion? And is, is that how you met Kristen when you were doing that tour? Oh, this is funny. Actually, I just used to volunteer. You volunteered, okay. And uh, I remember when she came, when the group came, it's not me. Actually, this is God's story. It was not me who was supposed to go and give the tour. Wow. Normally, when we have people who come, uh, Compassion brings beneficiaries to come and share their story and give the tour. And a friend of mine who has, we, we have the same middle name, were born the same day, and also a beneficiary of compassion, and from the same slum where Kristen and the team were coming uh, to, she's the one who was supposed to go. And fortunately for me, <laughs> fortunately for her, she got her first job, and she was supposed to report that day. Wow. So I was a replacement, and... Um, I just went to replace her and I shared and after I lost, this is personal, I don't know if I've ever told her, but you know, I think God wanted me to meet her because um, she's been a mother to me, you know, she has been, she has been a mother to me and when I met her and I shared my story with her and um, she was so loving and I remember asking her if she was on Facebook, <laughs> you know, I just joined Facebook and uh, Americans are always on Facebook and that was in 2010, and um, I don't know, I just started calling her mom because uh, she was just that motherly. I didn't know that my mother was going to die. So I just started calling her mom, and I was happy my mom got to meet her. So I just gave the tour, and we became friends, and uh, you know, I remember her asking me about, she had read an article on Backstreet Abortion, and she asked me if this is real, 
and to her it was like a big deal to me yeah. it was not a big deal because this is something's common and it happens every single day and every single minute and yeah. um when i lost my mother i in my mind and in my heart i said this is the reason why god gave her to me because god knew that you know it's hard to live without a mother but she's been there as a mother yeah. to me yes oh um <coughs> sorry <laughs> yeah that's you know as somebody else who has also lost her mom i know what um what it doesn't it yeah that's one of those things that crosses cultural boundaries <laughs> you know you just you need a mom um and oh. having somebody in your life that can that can be there and, oh. and kind of fill mm-hmm. that void is mm-hmm. so important. Yes. Um, and I have no doubt that that was a God thing yes. <laughs> that you were, you happened to be filling in that day. You were just a replacement. Yeah. Um, so I want to, you, you hit on something that I want to talk a little bit about that. Cause that was what ultimately started Rahama house, mercy house. Um, so you, you guys connected on Facebook, which, another kind of funny side story so the first time I went to Kenya um, we had met some um, some folks from uh, Maasai warriors um, we had met them and we had taken some pictures and we were talking and learning about them and I remember at the end one of them said can you email this to me and I was like <laughs> wait I'm sorry what <laughs> he's like let me write down my email address and it was like 47 letters at yahoo.com and I just remember like I couldn't wrap my mind and he was like yeah we walk to internet cafe (laughs) I'm like oh okay so you live in mud huts and travel around and hunt and I think drink cow's blood and you have a yahoo email address so yeah yeah, but so I think yeah I think Kristen you kind of were you're like wait a second you're Facebook yes I had the same response We were standing in this in the slum, and I'll never forget Maureen. We kind of found a corner, and I was so intrigued by this young woman who wasn't supposed to be there. Who God said, "This is the day I'm going to change both of your lives." Yeah. And um, and I had just written my first book and turned it in in 2010, but it hadn't come out yet. And so she was asking, "What do you do in America?" And I said, "Well, I'm a mom and I'm a writer." And she was like, "Oh, I love." writing I'm an English major and I said oh I am too so we just hit it off and then she told me some of the story that she just shared and I was so moved by this young woman and so well spoken and had come from nothing and and I could see that God had a special plan for her and then she said so are you on Facebook (laughs) and I was like are you on Facebook (laughs) yeah what (laughs) and um and so we did connect, and two weeks after that trip, I came home just a completely different person, yeah. wrecked in every possible way. Yeah. And it took months for me to figure out a new normal and and how I was going to respond. And um, the last day of the trip, our trip leader had told us, um, just given us very wise advice about not making any major decisions when we got home, waiting a few months. and. Yeah. Um, just really encouraged us to respond to what we had seen and experienced. And leading up to that point in my life, I was 37 years old um, on that trip, and I knew that I didn't want to be the same person anymore. And I had had opportunities to respond in the past, to be different and, and leave a mark and find my purpose, and I hadn't done it. And I knew that day that this was going to be different for me. And so I returned home just trying to figure out what God was going to birth from this. And um, I had seen a 
actually CNN had done a documentary on backstreet abortions. And when I, someone had sent me the link and they said, weren't you in this slum in Kenya recently? And it was a documentary on the same slum I met Maureen in. And, and it really chronicled mothers who were so desperate to feed their other children that they were sending their firstborn daughters, often 12, 13, 14 years old, into the streets to prostitute, not for money, but for food. So these young girls could feed their families. And it, obviously, as a young American mother, I could not fathom those kind of choices. Um, but because I had been there, I understood them. Yeah, I understood why a mother would be so desperate to feed her kids. And so I sent that documentary to Maureen over Facebook. And I said, is this really going on? And like she said, she was like, yes, this is very common. And so um, still, even at that point in my life, I didn't plan to start a nonprofit. I just knew that I had disposable money, you know, from going to Target and all the home decor that I was planning not to buy (laughs) after that trip that I might maybe could just send some money to help someone who was helping those girls. And so I asked her in that email to help me find someone who that who I could support who was supporting these young girls. And she said, okay, I'll get back to you. And Maureen spent probably two weeks looking for someone who was helping young pregnant girls in the slum. And I'll never forget the day she came back to me and she said, I can't find anyone. I can't find anyone. She said, as a matter of fact, many of these organizations turn out girls once they get pregnant and the schools turn them out and they don't, they don't have a right at education any longer. And um, a few conversations happened and a lot of, I think, prayer. And, but we decided to step into that void together and to answer the, the question that, that we were trying to find an answer to. So that's getting to know Kristen and Maureen just a little bit. I really wanted to dive deep into their personal stories and really get the background that just really sets up the context and sets up the story of Mercy House. So tune in for part two of my conversation with Kristen and Maureen, where we really dive deep into the heart of Mercy House, why they got started, and the impact that they are having on the women in the slums of Kenya. We're also going to be sharing Lillian's story, which is just an incredibly powerful testimony of one woman's life who's been completely transformed by Mercy House. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in to part two.